count us down whenever you feel the most, yeah, whenever you feel the most appropriate. I'm counting us down? Yeah. How's okay. you the ball? <laughs> Amazing. Um, all right, let's go live in three, two, one. Boom. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the We Got Us podcast for episode number 17. At the We Got Us podcast, we are committed to ideas of excellence, innovation, and inspiration towards the next generation. Today, I am very happy to welcome someone to the show whose knowledge and expertise is based off of something that is so vital to the next generation and where without the sustainability of such, we will not be able to have a next generation. I'd like to welcome Carol Lynette. Is that right? Am I saying that right? I should have found. Yeah. Yep, yes. <laughs> she is uh, one of the co-founders of the Narwhal, um, an independent news publication that is based off of environmental sustainability. Thank you for joining us. And uh, how are you today? I'm doing so good. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Awesome. What's uh, what's Victoria like right now? You know, you come uh, live to live to us from Victoria at the moment. I am. It's um, actually a very beautiful, crisp and sunny day here. It's quite pleasant and lovely. Mm. Have you um, if you guys take a take a look at some of uh, Carol's uh, Instagram, she loves the outdoors. She loves surfing and all those things. Have you engaged in any of those activities to get yourself in a good mind space yet today? Uh, not today, um, but typically in the winter on a day like this, when it's like not windy and sunny, I'm like getting into my wetsuit to go free diving. And I, I'm like super lucky to live close to the, the water and the ocean all around Victoria is like just full of incredible things to see. And like I swim with seals and see like giant cod and anemones and um, like and gazillion different types of types of sea stars and like these really dainty, beautiful sea slugs. And, uh, it's like one of my, my most favorite pastimes, like in the world is to just get in my wetsuit and like go for a dive and see what's happening under the surface. That's amazing. That's so amazing. As someone who I, I vicariously lived through you, most of my favorite activities are based indoors, like all my fitness classes, basketball, having, having heart to heart conversations. Most of them, they take place indoors. So to have someone the completely the opposite end of the spectrum for me from a human experience perspective today. I'm, I'm really, really going to value these next uh, 20 to however long we go for. Oh man. I, I feel really lucky that I have this outlet because normally I play on three like rec sports teams mm -hmm. and they all canceled with COVID. And so I've just been like super stir crazy and antsy and like, I'm a journalist by day. So I'm like, just like always on my laptop mm -hmm. and I'm just like rearing to go. I like need to like expend some energy and just like get into some sort of physical, you know, way of being in the world. And so I feel really lucky that I live near the water. Cause it's like, it's such an easy outlet and it's very COVID safe, you know, mm -hmm. to like just go in the water. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of COVID, before I ask my first question, I think I want to give some hope and optimism off the bat to our audience because Carol and I actually met during uh, pre this iteration of the lockdown during COVID. Uh, I was shooting around uh, on an outdoor court basketball <laughs> with, uh, with one of my mentors and I just ran it and Carol had her godson with her that day and she politely asked if she could borrow my basketball for like two, three minutes. And during that, during that time, while our godson was dribbling around, dunking, and all, and all those good things, uh, we developed, uh, we just asked Joe what we're, like, we're up to and just developed the foundation for what we're doing, like this conversation that we have now. So as much as I think everyone has been 
their their social level has been reduced to some capacity during this time. But at the same time, like this conversation that we're having today is a byproduct of two people who were still able to meet during this time. So totally. Actually, I've thought quite a lot about that moment because um, I think if it feels kind of like, you know, you really we, we shouldn't be talking to each other. You know, we can't get close and we like um, and, and you just like really it's not like a time of like really sort of just engaging with strangers. It feels like it's like risky or like you might be violating someone's like, you know, feelings of protection or safety or something. And mm. and yet here we were these these like strangers on a basketball court. And um, and we were still able to have this like really nice, warm human connection. And and in a matter of like, I don't know, we probably talked for 20 minutes or something like that, but just got like really deep and like had this really wonderful connection um, and conversation. It was just it was so heartwarming because I think, you know, a lot of people are feeling really lonely for that connection. It doesn't feel possible. And of course, since we had that conversation, things have gotten much worse in Canada yes. and BC in particular. Um, but, uh, but I, I do think there's like these unexpected moments that can probably still occur and just kindness between strangers. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like, it's so important now more than ever, as things have become more severe from now until the proliferation of the vaccine, like every single interaction that you get in person, like bring kindness, bring empathy, bring humanity, because you just don't know like how many of those conversations you're going to have that day. I, I was talking with someone, I ran into an old mentor at the mall today, actually. Um, and I, I said to her after our like five minute, like small talk conversation, I was like, yo, um, before this used to just be like, oh, cool. Like I, I saw, I saw Sharon at the mall, <laughs> but now I'm like, wow. Like I feel so rejuvenated after five minutes of small talk. You're like, I got to like speak to another human for five minutes, not through like this medium. And like, as opposed to another moment, it becomes a highlight. And I was like, wow, this is where we are now in human society. <laughs> yeah. It's a real reminder of how much of our life force we draw just from interactions with other people and and like, I, I think a lot about my, my godson and, and his little baby sister that was born, which is why I was, I was watching him that day. And also all my other nieces and nephews. Um, and like, I miss them so much. Like I miss physically being with them and like touching them. And I just like, I fantasize about like going to my nieces and nephews homes and like sleeping in the same bed as them. I just, I like physically want to spoon yeah. them for the night, you know? And it's yeah. just, it's that human connection. Like we just, it is so important. And I think um, the, in, you know, the absence of it, we're really reminded of its value in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Okay, taking it, keeping the main thing, the main thing, though, let's come back to, let's come back to center for a moment and talk about the, the genesis of the narwhal. How did, I think all great ideas aren't just spontaneous. They're like, oh, I'm going to start this and we're, we're here. So yeah, take us through, like, give us um, a tweet sized version of how the narwhal came to be. Yeah, um, I love talking about the the vision and, and the birth and the genesis of the narwhal. It it came about in conversations um, that me and my colleague uh, Emma Gilchrist, she's a journalist and she's the other co-founder of the narwhal. Uh, we were both environmental journalists running running a a, um, a news outlet called Desmog Canada, and we um, often actually would be heading out for surf outings because there's like some great little beaches for surfing on the coast of Vancouver Island. And we would oftentimes, instead of having meetings during the day, um, we would save up all the things that we needed to talk about. And then we'd like hive off some time in our schedule and like hit the road and like go on this epic surf adventure. And we would just like talk through everything on our list together. Um, and it, it was during those moments and those conversations that we like really started to talk about 
you know, the state of media in Canada and journalism and, and sort of what we wish environmental journalism uh, looked like and, and what it could, it could, how it could function, what it could feel like, um, how it could inspire people and how it could connect with younger audiences. Um, and, you know, we talked about how, like, for example, a publication like Vice had really changed, you know, sort of the tenor and the tone and the style of how it was doing its, uh, its journalism to reach a younger audience. It was a really intentional sort of you know, way of, of presenting the news. And we thought, you know, what if we took some inf inspiration from that? And we thought about like, if we wanted to like really reach more Canadians and have really impactful environmental journalism, like what would it look like? What would it feel like? You know, who, who would be the voices? Like how, how would we do the photography? Um, and how could we sort of make people feel enthusiastic again about environmental stories? Because there is, there is a lot of, you know, bad news, consistent bad news, like how many people want to, you know, read about, you know, more bad things going on with climate change. Um, and so we, we kind of want to turn that around and make it a little more engaging. Mm -hmm. And I think that's absolutely beautiful that you are deriving and leveraging your passion into something that is your day-to-day -day work. And you made a good point there saying like, how do we bring more enthusiasm to environmentalism? As someone who admittedly isn't reading, isn't actively seeking articles about the environment outside of in preparation for this interview, how is how do you plan to make environmentalism more sexy or more appealing or just more more um, more accessible to the next generation and what are the action steps there and or not or, yeah just talk a bit about that please yeah I mean this is something we talk about all the time and it you know at the beginning and and still to this day like we're two and a half just over two and a half years old now um and we yeah like I think that a huge part of giving environmental journalism like a bit of a pulse and a bit of a heartbeat um, is is making it uh, beautiful, making it visually attractive. So we definitely have like a big sort of visual component. We do a lot of photojournalism, uh, like photo essays, you know, documentary work. Um, we send journalists and photographers out to these remote places and these like beautiful landscapes to actually report from on the ground there. That's been a little more complicated with COVID, but you know, we're working around that as best we can. Um, and another thing is that, you know, for us, we really want the stories to be connected to um, the potential for change and the levers of power in society. So like, for example, um, we may not be writing, we, we can't write about everything to do with the environment. You know, there's just like an endless amount of stuff we could be writing about. So for us, the way that we sort of try to focus our reporting is we look at like, who are the major polluters and the major power holders of society? And we just have like an absolute tunnel focus on um, in particular, natural resource industries or the extractive industries. And we're really trying to do like, you know, um, like badass, consistent, investigative, in-depth reporting on, on those people, how they affect communities, how they affect landscapes, um, species and, and climate and all that kind of stuff. You think there'll be a tipping point of people caring about environmentalism in the same way that earlier this year, there was a tipping point in social injustice with um, with the George Floyd incident down south. Like, um, shoot, what's that lady who was who uh, presented very coherently, the, 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 the 15, 16 year, Greta Thunberg? Yeah. Like, do you think that moment came and went with her? Or was, was she supposed to be the messenger for getting the masses um, invested in this? Or is there another wave coming where, you know, 
where the environment is just so bad and beyond saving that we have no choice but to care for it. Yeah, I think that's a good, that's a really good question. And it's like, it's really interesting to think about. I think in general, we have seen a major, you know, just change in the way that that society thinks about and is concerned about environmental issues, even though, you know, everyone, you know, is not like, you know, protesting with like a placard every single weekend doesn't mean that they aren't, you know, deeply engaged with the environment or deeply concerned about the environment. Um, If you look at sort of public opinion polling, um, people are really worried about the environment and that's like across age uh, and and across the political spectrum for the most part. Um, But like, it's really interesting, you know, to connect like these, you know, these flashpoint moments that we see in society, Black Lives Matters protests or Greta Thunberg, like leading student strikes across the world. Um, I think that those, those points are indicative of, you know, this desire for social change and a sort of hunger for more engagement on these issues in ways that feel really powerful that can bring us together. But I don't think that they're the only way that change occurs. I think when you start to look past these big headlines and these big marches in the streets, there's just the hard, consistent work of people who every single day are just committed to making change. And that's happening on all, all sorts of levels. So I was going to save this for later, but like, what are those, some of those daily action steps? Like if how you do small things is how you do all things. If you want to be a better basketball player, it doesn't happen overnight. It's about working on your footwork. You, you don't you don't fall out of love with the basics of dribbling, of conditioning, of shooting, of of weightlifting. All those minor things contribute to the overall love of basketball, right? So, like, what does that look like in the environmentalism space? Of what are those small things that we can be do we, that a young person listening or any person listening to this today can be like, oh, I I might not be able to be Greta Thunberg, but I can do X. Mm -hmm. I love that comparison actually between conditioning as an athlete and thinking about yourself as like as a practical environmentalist, because just like, you know, with like fine tuning your body and your skills and your technique as a basketball player, it has to do with your diet and your sleep and like what you're putting into your body and how you're thinking and like how you devote your time and, and organize your schedule. All those things actually um, matter when it comes to like sort of that overall uh, um, um, end game of like being a great athlete. And in some ways it's kind of similar, um, just being like an everyday participant in society. There is no major one big thing that anyone can do that's going to fix the environment or make them the best environmentalist. Um, it's, it's never something that's accomplished just in one day, but I do think that, you know, a really significant, um, way to kind of get your foot in in the water or like your foot in the door is is to be engaged and informed and I really think that a lot of people have this sense you know like everyone's so apathetic and like young people are so tuned out and they're just into TikTok and blah 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 (laughs) I don't agree with that at all I think young people are super keyed in and like um young people if you look at so I was talking about public opinion polling before young people are like completely different they're like they're championing progressive values um, in a way that our my generation and generations older than me um, couldn't even comprehend. Like mm-hmm. these kids are dialed in, super ready for a different world. Um, and so I think that, you know, um, getting engaged and getting informed is going to be really important for those people who already have really progressive values. It's really just going to be about where they're going to put their time, where they're going to put their attention. I know that there's oftentimes a lot of conversation about like say consumer habits, you know, 
Um, and I know, while I do think that it's important at the narwhal, we're really looking at like, who are the major polluters? Like who are the ones that are polluting like so much almost, you know, undoes all the good that, you know, people do in their everyday lives. Um, and I think that getting informed about that and getting engaged and connecting with like your local conservation groups and like political action groups, um, even if you're just doing a little bit of that, you know, once a month. You're kind of hitting up on those skills and you're like sort of building that repertoire into your life. I think that's actually sort of the way to move forward. Um, I just realized I haven't plugged in my computer and I just got a, a battery warning. I'm just going to plug in my yeah, computer yeah, sure. really quick. Sorry. That's good. <laughs> Wires coming out of every which way. And of course, I forgot the most important one. This is the, this is the beauty of a live recording. You just don't know what's going to happen. And um, I'm glad we got to it sooner rather than later. Yeah. Thank goodness that morning actually came up. All right. Awesome. So you were also saying like how dialed in this generation is, right? And I think one of the things that makes just being a, a young person challenging right now is you are presented with, you are overwhelmed with information, but sometimes you may be starving of wisdom. And I have a quote behind my desk actually that says like to be a voice and not to be a voice and not to be an echo. So when it comes to both of us come from journalism backgrounds, like myself with uh, having gone to Ryerson school of journalism and you being doing the work that you do every day, how can, instead of being consumed by the echo chamber of new media, say like TikTok, right? What suggestions do you have for someone who, is struggling to what uncover their truth every day or, or, you know, has access to all this information and wants to be a champion of whatever that causes they're passionate about, but are struggling to break that echo chamber of negativity that sometimes social media creates. Yeah, I think that's a good question. It's, and it's a big question right now because, you know, over the last couple of years, there's been such a proliferation, just like an explosion of sources of information um, that we have access to on a, on a, on a, on a daily basis. And if we aren't careful or thoughtful about sort of curating what's coming in, um, then we're just going to be, you know, receiving sort of what is the most popular or what the algorithm is forcing our way or what some advertiser has paid for your eyes to see. So I do think it's, it's so important to, um, thoughtfully curate, you know, the sources of information that are coming your way. Um, you know, people talk about like their news diet, right? It's like, what are you feeding yourself? Mm -hmm. um, I think like a great way, a great place to start is to look at the kinds of publications who are doing great work and maybe charting even, you know, um, pathways forward um, for, for meaningful media. And so like the Narwhal, that's exactly what we're trying to do. And, and when people follow us and support us, that's a way that we can sort of become a part of their like daily news diet. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, like, it's really interesting because like the Narwhal, we're not on TikTok, 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 yeah. not on TikTok um, yet. Uh, we're thinking about it um, because we know it's important to reach these younger audiences. But I'm just thinking about like Instagram. Every single person who goes on to Instagram is having a totally different experience of Instagram. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could spend your entire day on Instagram looking at before and after pictures of people who have plastic surgery, if mm -hmm. that's what you want to do on Instagram. Um, you could spend every single day, you know, looking at like surf videos and wishing that you were somewhere else surfing in warm water, which I sometimes do. Um, <laughs> but you know, tick, uh, Instagram and TikTok and all of these platforms potentially can be avenues to finding 
these like really meaningful voices and publications mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and, uh, you know, people that we need, we really kind of want to be a part of our diet. And like, for example, indigenous TikTok or ind- indigenous Instagram. I mean, just look up that hashtag and, and follow those accounts. Like there's just like people who are doing the coolest work at yeah, sort yeah. of resuscitating the narratives around indigenous culture. These yeah. are like, just like really cool, like hip, young, badass people. And uh, I think that that's a way you can kind of like incorporate those like new things into your, into your diet. Yeah, absolutely. And something else that I always encourage and I kind of lead by example uh, in this cause is to not like not take everything that you read for face value. Like one of my friends works at Amazon and one of his managers there always challenges, what is your thesis on this thing that I sent you? And I will, I will correl- I will relay that to my usage of social media. When ninety five percent of the things that I story, I won't just story and then leave whatever that image is blank. I will story it and then leave my own thoughts, like a like a small paragraph about what I th- like what I think about this image or whatever this image is saying, so that I'm challenging myself and I don't become a I don't become a passenger on social media. I think that's super, super important where, yes, it's important to be on social media because it connects you to this world of information. But at the same time, I think that's the biggest differentiation between being a voice and being an echo. You know, one of the things that you have to break through that echo chamber is, do you have the courage to say like, yes, this is something that I have read, but this is also my own variation and my own take on it? Because that's, that's what higher learning in universities all about anyways, but can you apply that every day in your life in a, in a medium that is the most used amongst young people? Yeah, totally. I think there's a lot of parallels there with um, even just kind of like thinking about your own mental health, like this idea of like not being a passenger, you know how you can like kind of get caught up in this like slipstream of just like negative internal monologues where you're just like hard on yourself and you're just feeding yourself this information. And it's so important to suddenly just like grab that by the reins and be like, actually, I need to play an intentional role about what I'm thinking about right now. And it's the same thing for news consumption or social media behaviors and social media consumption. You actually need to grab that by the reins and like be intentional with what you're doing, because if we're not, we're a passenger. And the thing is, is that there are people who are just waiting to take advantage of all the passengers on all those platforms. And like we live in just a media saturated and advertisement saturated environment. And somebody is there to take advantage of your attention. So who do you want to give that attention to? And I think that's, um, I think, I think the younger generation is, is learning that, um, you know, or, or being forced to ask that question or confront that challenge in a way that previous generations just have, didn't have to, you know, like I grew up like in a household without the internet for most of my teen years. Um, and so the new generation is like, they're existing (laughs) in a reality. Yeah. 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 That's so, so important just to be like, I think one of the things that I do is I set one day a week where like a Tim Ferriss, the best podcaster in the world, in my opinion, has um, has a habit called screen free Saturday, where you just take one day a week and then you unplug from that, like outside of using your phone for its essential services, like calling an Uber, ordering skipping dishes during this time or making phone calls for, for those who still make phone calls and texting people. We, you are disable your usage of all the apps so that you can just find your own instead of 
consistently being in this whirlpool of algorithm, you are, you, you come upstream for a moment. You, you take a breath about, above water and just breathe. Just breathe and consume, like open a book, go outside. You know, it's, it's one of those, especially difficult during this time when we're spending so much time indoors and in our own space. Like, where can I discover my own truth and what's valuable to me? But, if, but so much of, you know, like a, a famous Britney Spears song called Circus, actually, I, it was, I think it was really popular in 2008, maybe. Uh, the, her first lines are, there's only two types of people in the world. There's those who entertain and those who observe. I think social media and new age media has created that schism more now more than ever. You're either, you're either the passenger or you're the driver. So how can you find, you got to be able to find the balance in between those things and to be able to think for yourself or else like your, your mind is just, whatever's going on in here is consistently just what you're scrolling through. And I think that's such a challenge for young people. Yeah, totally. And, and I think like, yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and I think sometimes like when we're living in those, in, in that, you know, those big, like dichotomous choices, like you're either a passenger, or you're a driver. It, it makes us feel like, oh, well, if, you know, if I've got to be a driver, then that means like, if I'm going to make a difference or if I'm going to be like a good person or like a change maker, mm-hmm. um, I have to do it in these big sort of, you know, these big splashy ways that are like, you know, um, are going to be, you know, have it, have an immediate effect. And, yeah. and instead, I think it's like kind of robbed us of the ways that just kind of small incremental ways of just living, um, mm-hmm. matter and our, and our significant can be significant. And like, I, I really like think about, you know, especially around environmental issues, it can just feel, um, you can feel so paralyzed, by how much is going on, you know, and it's like, you're learning about like plastic pollution in the oceans and you're learning about like, there's less water in the rivers because of climate change and that's affecting fish. And like, there's, you know, you're learning about like indigenous lands that are being like taken for energy projects and, you know, so on, so on, so on, so on. There's just so much going on there. But I think, I think a part of like being the driver is like finding out what really resonates with you and what you're passionate about and just finding those little ways that you can get engaged and all those little things actually matter. Yeah. And you're not like one or like, like Brittany conveys, you're not one or the other. It's not, it's, it's not, it's non-binary that you to be the most effective leader and most effective student of life possible. Sometimes Sometimes the drive, like to take it back to like literally driving when you're driving for a long amount of time on a highway, some, there are rest stops built in for a reason. You get up, breathe at those rest stops, consume some information, look at some trees, and then you get back on the highway and you go again, right? I think like it's really important that you shift between those roles and, and they are seamless because you're not, especially in the world we live in today, you aren't one or the other all the time. You are both. Yeah. Absolutely. And it can be, it can be exhausting to feel like we have to be like optimized at all of our levels all the time. Right. So it's like, you're going to exercise, you're going to get your homework done. You're going to like help your parents. You're going to like do that thing. You're going to like be, you know, an environmental activist. You're going to, you know, and we we just feel like all those dials have to be just turned completely up. Um, And that's exhausting. And it's a recipe for burnout. 
And sometimes we're really, really, really good at getting our homework done. And we're really good at like making sure we're staying on top of our exercise and a healthy diet. And we, you know, we've got good balance and other times those things slip a little bit. Um, and, and I think that's okay. And I think it's natural. And I think like having that flexibility and that kindness to ourselves, um, is really important for that long-term sustainable, like drive and just like constantly trying to be your best and, and knowing that every single day you have a new chance to, to try again. Mm -hmm. On that note, you are currently doing your PhD at the moment, right? I am. Um, and want to just inform the audience uh, what that's about a little bit? It's a super cheerful topic uh, about... Uh, <laughs> 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 it's... It it's sort of about, uh, you know, our obsession with the end of the world, basically. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I started, uh, just becoming obsessed with our obsession with the end of the world. And I just realized like every which way I turned my head, there was some sort of post-apocalyptic like story or narrative or podcast or book or TV show, zombie apocalypse, ecological, uh, catastrophe, you know, like asteroid, uh, AI, like whatever, right. You name it. And I just thought like, so interested like why are we so attracted to these narratives like these sort of thought experiments about the collapse of society mm -hmm. so as you are a, a full-time journalist running a new organization and you're also doing this speak a bit to young people about time management like uh, like over the over the weekend I, I emailed you some questions on on a friday and then you didn't get back to me until monday because you were like saying to, in order to complete the dissertation, I have to get keep my head out of work emails for the weekend. Talk a bit about to young people because like their their DMs and their their DM has become their email and their text messaging, and you're consistently bombarded with that. It's hard to turn off. So, how can you? Yeah, speak a bit just about drawing boundaries and time management and getting through both of these roles at a at a high level. Yeah, that's a good question. Actually, when I was talking about like all the levels being dialed up in every which way, mm. you can't keep them all dialed up all the time because it's mm. a recipe for burnout. And I've I've truly like learned that myself and 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 felt that. And so like right now, my uh my narwhal work dial is up, my dissertation dial is up, my relationship with my partner dial is up. Um, a lot of other dials are just turned real down because I'm like, you know, in the end zone of, uh, what are some of those dials as an example for as so, so people have specific examples to take home. Yeah. I mean, this is like, this is one of those weird silver linings of COVID, but for me, like my, my social life, social obligations, like even my family who I love so much, it was just like, I just, you know, could, I wasn't going home for weekends. I just told people like, I can't attend your baby shower. I can't like, you know, and I just like, I just said like, I am in a tunnel. I'm in like a life tunnel. I'm in a bunker and mm -hmm. I have to, I've, I've devoted so much to getting here and I have to respect my own hard work to get to this moment. Um, and, and, and just like allow some of those sacrifices to, to be okay with them, which is hard. You know, it's, it's hard for people who are connected to their friends and family and just like feel like they really want to honor those obligations and relationships. But sometimes we can't do it all. We can't do it all, all the time, right? We can do all of it some of the time and some of it all the time, but not all of it all the time. Um, so those, and, and also, you know, like even when I was saying like COVID, like canceled all my sports, um, in some ways that has helped me really like just focus my energies in on, um, on writing basically. And so, yeah, on the weekend when I write, uh, my phone is in airplane mode wow. and every single 
every single kind of possible notification on my computer is disabled and turned off. So I just like, because I want to be distracted from my work. If I'm honest, I want to look at Instagram. Yeah. I like want to see what my family's talking about on WhatsApp. I want to see the funny meme. My brother just texted me. Um, All of those things are like fun and I want them. And so I have to actually like physically kind of like remove my ability to engage with them. And people know that sometimes they just can't get a hold of me for several hours. And I'm usually either in the water or working on my dissertation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's become totally essential for me to, to actually get that writing done in it. And at first it felt awkward. Um, and now it just feels totally normal. Yeah. I love that so much because you use the word obsession with your PhD right now. And I feel like you, you haven't used it consciously as well, but I feel like you are obsessed with your work with an R wall as well. Oh yeah. So I feel like in order to, fully engage in that space of obsession in the same way that you are with your PhD in the same way that Kobe Bryant was with basketball. I think that there's a choice you have to make and there are inherent sacrifices you have to make every moment of each day. Be like, okay, if I were to, if I want to be great at this thing, unfortunately I do have to turn that dial down all the way on this other thing. Like one time before he passed, he talked about uh, someone asked me, do you miss having a regular childhood because you devoted all of this time towards becoming, in my opinion, the top three basketball player of all time and for, for a neutral and objective observer basketball, top 20 basketball player of all time. And he said, what did I really miss? Like, did I miss going to the mall? You know, if I knew this was my passion from a young age, so I'm going to do every single thing possible to get to this endpoint." So that when I get to, when I get to the end of the, in your, in your words, at, at the end of the tunnel, I look back with no regrets. I think it's a, it's a choice. A lot of young people struggle to make like that full send, that full commitment, be like, okay, this is what I'd want to do. And nothing is going to stop me because notifications are the, are the, is, is the contemporary opium in my opinion. <laughs> like as you drive down this tunnel, you're like, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. But if you turn all, if you, but if you turn airplane mode on, like you said there, and you were, you're just obsessed with the end goal and in love with the process, then nothing can stop you. But like, but for a lot of young people, I think the hard thing is finding what's worthwhile for them to be like, nothing else matters. Totally. Totally. And you know, this is like one of the hard things too, is that even the things that we want so much the things that we value, the things that we love, the things that we're like passionate about and compelled to do sometimes just like feel really hard and they feel really unpleasant and they require a lot of sacrifice in inconvenient moments. You know, like the Narwhal, launching the Narwhal, launching a a brand new publication, um, you know, there was just like a thousand things we had to do from like, you know, hiring the team and the branding and launching the website. And we had to create a database because we have a monthly member program. So people give us like their credit cards. We had to have like this, you know, database for, you know, um, sensitive information. And it was just like, and, 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 and we had to build out all these things. And sometimes Emma and I, you know, talk about how like the narwhal just kind of like ate our life for like two years. Um, and, and it, it was hard and it it required a lot of sacrifices. And there were a lot of times when we were pretty grumpy about it. And like, you know, we put on like, you know, 10 pounds each, like just being locked to our computers, just like, you know, we weren't necessarily living the exact way we wanted to. But the flip side of that is that we now are running, you know, this rockin' like 
nonprofit investigative journalism publication. It's growing like mad. People love it. We feel like our work is valuable. Our work is important. We don't have anyone sitting over our shoulder saying, you can't write that story because it's going to piss off our advertisers because we made a conscious choice to have no advertising. So there's a lot of, there were, there were a lot of long-term payoffs and even the same with like doing your dissertation. Like it's not exactly a super pleasant thing to be like changing your computer for several years, but there's this long-term reward of, of pursuing your passions and recognizing that the sacrifice is a part of this greater glory that you're going to get to one day. And I think like, that's not easy. And, and so talking about strategies and tactics for surviving the challenging times is really important. Mm -hmm. I love that. So like what's, what's one of those strategies for you outside of, outside of disabling notifications, if you're speaking to a younger person instead of me to be like, this is how you stay locked in would be blank. Yeah. I mean, okay. So free diving, for example, mm-hmm. um, that is something for me that just, it's, it's, it's almost like, it's almost like meditation mm. because you, you get, I get into my wetsuit and you get into the water, it's cold. Mm-hmm. And so you're bought, you're kind of going through this intense experience with your body. There's all these like beautiful things happening, um, under the water. When you dive down, I wear like a 14 pound, um, weight belt and I'm, I'm trying to learn to, you know, dive deeper and deeper. The water presses in on your body. And of course it's completely quiet when you're in the water and wow. you're just like, you, you're sort of, you know, you sort of submit to this whole other world and just this other, it feels like time is different. Um, that to me, I started to recognize was it was like almost healing. Like it almost like the way that like my body would feel sore after being on my laptop all day and like in my neck and I'd have a headache and I just feel like kind of grumpy. Um, that's something that like I do that and it's so resuscitating. It feeds my soul so much. Sometimes I want to just like eat a bag of chips and watch Netflix, but ultimately um, that doesn't actually like sort of rejuvenate me and like kind of bring me back. So I've really pay attention to what are the things that like are actually truly restorative. And sometimes I like, don't feel like getting in the cold water, but I know I'm going to feel better when I do it. Yeah. So those are some of the, 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 the survival strategies too. That's amazing. I think something that I took from that was you said that how resuscitating that it is and free diving is. And one of the things that I went over with one of the clients that I coach is Make a list of every single thing you do in the day, every single thing from the moment you wake up to the moment you put your head back on the pillow. And then just make, just like how, when we were younger, make a list of pros and cons, which one of these items gives you, gives you energy, gives you more life and which one of these drains you. And just try to try to have column a outweigh column B on most days. And you'll be living a, hopefully you'll be living a successful and happier life. I think sometimes it's just as simple as that. Do you have enough items in your day that provide you with that resuscitation piece as opposed to just consistently being drained? Because like, it is so easy to have that self-negotiation with yourself. Oh, I could, go, I could hop into freezing my butt off water or I could turn on Queen's Gambit for the 13th time this week. You know, it's a, it's a, to, make, to have those difficult conversations with yourself is a skill in, in, in itself and, not to, and, to and to negotiate with yourself in a kind way. Think. Absolutely. And, and knowing that, you know, like some days you're going to do better than, than others, but, um, but just trying to encourage yourself and be kind with yourself and, 
and, uh, and, and allow yourself, you know, just like the cheat days or whatever you need to get by so that you're, you're being flexible with your own self. Cause I think, you know, like exercise is so much like that, right. You set a super intense regime and you're going to just like hit it. Um, and then you're just like, I can't, I can't keep up with that. Whereas having like a really unintimidating, easy, just like let yourself get into it. You find that you're naturally just attracted to that. And so you'll do it more. Right. And so it's like, it's, it's kind of building those healthy incentives into your own life so that you do the things that you know you need to do. Yeah. And like, I don't know, even grocery shopping, it's like, I, I just, I buy the things I know I want to eat and I try not to buy the things I know I don't mm-hmm. want to eat. Um, because if I have them in my house, they're available to me. But if I like just have all these beautiful, fresh vegetables and like greens and like whatever, I, I will make a meal with those. Yeah. So it's like, what are you bringing in? Right. Yeah. I think it's consistent. I think you have, you brought that idea consistently, both with the ideas that you're consuming versus like the food you're consuming, like consistently just surround yourself with as much good SHIT as possible. Like if, if the bad stuff is not an option to you, then you can't reach for the bad stuff. You know, I think like sometimes even, even as a 28 year old adult, sometimes I do need to be like, all right, I'm putting my phone at a different end of the house. I need to lock in for whatever, whatever the task is because the algorithms and the way that there's, I, I'm recognizing the way, that the way they designed the iTelephone and all the notifications are stronger than any willpower that I have within me. So um, shifting gears for a second, I, we have talked a lot about s- tips for the next generation. So I'm just going to take some of those highlights and then cut it and cut it for our, our viewers. So I'm going to skip that question. But there, but a question that's a question that I would like to still ask is, what is one idea that has shaped your life the most? And what is the genesis of that idea? Um, yeah, this is this is such an interesting question, and and I've I've thought a lot about it, and I I feel like so I grew up in a in a really conservative Christian household, um, and and there was a lot of uh, there were a lot of negative things that came with that, um, but you know we really grew up around you know with the the sort of golden rule like do unto others as you would have them do unto you, um, and. Um, as I, as I, you know, and that, that was always really foundational in, in my, um, in my household and my, my parents were, you know, real humanitarians and people who really believed in charity and giving back to society. Um, and so I think that's like something that has definitely shaped, um, who I am and, and, and led into me being, um, a journalist originally, I like really wanted to work in human rights. And so I ended up becoming like a researcher and a writer. And that sort of led to me becoming a journalist. Um, but in my early twenties, I heard, um, I think some people call it the platinum rule or like the new age golden rule. And it's actually doing to others as they would have done unto themselves. And I think this is, it's such an important difference because it's a reminder um, and this is like, you know, maybe something about like kind of a Christian mentality. It's like, you want people to fit the world that you, uh, believe that they ought to live in and you want people to become the kinds of people you believe that they should be. Um, and I think we're really living in like a moment of cultural transition around seeing people for who they are and trying to recognize their difference and how they want to be spoken to and how they want to be seen and what pronouns they want people to use for them and really respecting that and trying to understand that and see that and, and honor that and be like open and curious about that. Um, so yeah, I just like, that's, that's something I, I think about, not just, you know, for the, the wisdom within it, but for the change between those two, you know, kind of truisms or those little sayings, like do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. 
do unto others as they would have actually done to themselves. It's like, what do the people around us need and, and who are they? And like, how, how are their needs actually different from mine? And why is that a hundred percent? Okay. Um, and I think there's like a real kind of, um, sort of contemporary, like sentiment about respecting others and their difference that is, is kind of embedded in that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's absolutely beautiful. I love how you've refined a classic idea there. Oftentimes in society, we take that idea for face value and then we don't challenge that idea for X amount of years. You know, when it comes to like, um, what was it? Like the, the amount of time it took for someone to run a mile. Like once we, once we broke past that, that barrier initially, then, like, then, we, then we break past it. Then every week someone was breaking past that barrier, right? So they consistently and respectfully challenge ide- uh, ideologies that have been ingrained, but at the same time do it in a way that is respectful. So um, yeah, very much appreciate your time today. Anything else you'd like to, to add for our listeners that we didn't get a chance to cover, Carol? Um, well, you know, I just like would love so much for any of your listeners to check out the Narwhal and the work we're doing and, um, and to, you know, connect with us and reach out to us um, when they see something that resonates with them and tell us why. Um, yeah, I think that's like the only thing is we're just, I'm super stoked uh, about the Narwhal and I'm excited for, for us to, to reach younger people and connect to them and really want to be doing ge- journalism that feels meaningful for um, this, you know, these younger people who are inheriting, you know, this world and this reality from, from previous generations. So I think that's probably it. Amazing. What's the preferred method of communication? Uh, d- email, DM, send you a TikTok video? Like, <laughs> Yeah, all, all of the above, please. Um, yeah, I mean, our website's uh, thenarwhal.ca and we're thenarwhal.ca on um, Instagram. And, um, and, you know, once you're on our website, it's easy to find our emails and all that kind of stuff. And I take it to the limit on Instagram and you can easily DM me there. And Amazing. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, we look forward to, uh, well, I look forward to continuing to uh, grow this relationship beyond this episode. Carol Lynette, thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor.